You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight the focus is on food entrepreneurs. Some new and one very well established. First up it's Pat O'Sullivan from MasterChef's Hospitality, one of Ireland's leading corporate and events catering companies. And later in the programme a trio of GMIT students share details about the different initiatives they're involved in. But before that, a quick reminder of how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. The email is s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So Pat O'Sullivan's award-winning MasterChef hospitality brand is synonymous with quality, innovation and attention to detail. And in 2013, Pat founded the Artisan Food Factory. Last month, Copia Green, a health-driven, flavour-focused eatery, opened in the Castle Troy area in Limerick City and became the latest addition to his business. It was here that I met Pat last week to find out why he decided to bring nourishing health food to the high street in a zero waste and sustainable environment and the challenges of managing a workforce of 400 people. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Pat, it's great to be here in Copia Green. Fantastic new addition to the the MasterChef portfolio of businesses that you have. Tell us why you decided to get into this market. We're constantly surveying the market. We're constantly watching trends, seeing where where the market is moving to. And we have the advantage of that um, working in universities where we have a very young uh, audience, a very young demographic, and we we see how their dining habits have changed. Um, When when I started thinking about Copia Green, I was very much... um, I wasn't working on a whim, I suppose, you know. I was working on where I knew... Uh, the younger generation uh, how they wanted to eat and um, we as an organization I suppose in MasterChefs as a whole wanted to we want to move more towards the the healthy eating market we've always been there we just haven't shouted about it I suppose Um, and uh, like Copia Green I suppose it's gone you know over the fence and down the road as I said in terms of, of where healthy eateries are at We've looked at the market, we've looked at who's doing what, and um, we have taken it to to an entirely different level with Copia Green. One of the things that's really noticeable whenever you come in is how bright and airy the building is. So whenever I visit various different eateries, I'm always struck by is the eating experience isn't just about what's on the menu, what's on your plate, it's also about the environment. So whenever it comes to collaboration to create a space like this, who did you work with? Um, we started off working with Bradley Brand in Dublin in terms of... Originally, when I started um, serving the market for this, we, we launched a brand. We have a brand called Nourish, and Nourish, by its, uh, as the name would suggest, is a healthy eating brand. And we have Nourish cafes in various places around the country. There's one in Limerick Regional Hospital A&E department. So that's a health, there's a bright, airy, healthy eating. So we just used that brand and we, we went with Just Eat and we put a menu online and using our central facility in Delta, we uh, we launched a menu 
all in the healthy eating vein, put it on Just Eat and wanted to see what was popular, how, you know, what areas of the town of the city were the most popular, you know, what times they were eating at, etc. So we garnered a huge amount of information from that, okay? So originally when I went to open in Castle Troy, it was going to be Nourish. Um, when I, I started researching the market for an architect that would get what the vision that I wanted to do, online I met uh, Tess Stanford. And Tess, Teresa, um, we met up straight away, had a rapport, she got where I was coming from, she went away and she did a mock-up of what she interpreted my vision to be, and it was just amazing. So when I saw that, I said, okay, it's, it's brilliant, but it's not nourish, right? It just doesn't fit, the two don't fit together. So I said, now we have to rebrand the restaurant to, to get a name that fits the decor. So uh, to do that, I met with um, Andrew Bradley, of Bradley Brand in Dublin, who I've worked with previously on, on different projects. And I gave Andrew a brief, and through that process, we came up with the name Copia Green. Um, and the reverse then started happening when I came back to test with Copia Green and the color scheme and the brand we had to change the decor again to, to match that. But it was a process that took, God, almost six months, I'd say, uh, from start to finish. But where it is Copia Green, it's not Nourish, you know. And just explain the name, Copia Green. Green is to do with the colour. Copia, what's that all about? Okay, so what it actually means, there's two, there's two versions of that. What Bradley uh, had interpreted was... Um, when I saw the name, I instantly resonated with it. You know, I just thought that's it. Even though I had told them originally I wanted a one name uh, brand, and they came back with various suggestions on that. When I saw them all, look, I, I just didn't like any of them. But at the bottom of one of her pages of notes, I saw the name Copia Green. In my head, I thought they had reversed a green copia, which is a variety of tomato, and I have worked with them in the states and elsewhere, and. I thought, that's very clever, they've taken the, the green copia tomato and, and they've reversed it and it sounds much better. When I said that to them, they had never heard of, a, of a, the variety of tomato. What they had in their mind was copious, uh, the Latin word for, for plentiful and bountiful and, and um, copious amounts. And green, obviously, because we're a green uh, restaurant. They were, that's where they were looking at it from. So that's, I suppose, what it really means is um, plentiful and green. Yeah, I think names are always very interesting. I'm always very intrigued as to how somebody gets to a name. Sometimes it can be in their head right from the start. So it's, it's great to hear that story about how the name has evolved. And the menu then, let's talk about your menu. Um, you do lunch you do breakfast, you do brunch at the weekend, yep. and I see you have a wine list as well. But let's talk first of all about the types of things you have on the menu. Like there's a nourish bowl here. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the nourish bowl. So, so what, in designing the menu, uh, the menu is a col kind of uh, collaboration of several different people. You have to find once you get. Um, uh, an idea of the style of menu that you want to go with, then you have to obviously set about sourcing the, the ingredients that match that and sourcing the suppliers. And in some instances, because we've gone so bespoke with the menu, we have to get a product from 
a farmer in West Clare, like our eggs, our organic eggs, for, for example, he just supplies us with organic eggs. And so everything on the menu in Copia Green is Irish or organic? Irish, organic, sustainable. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to do, to do that and to do it authentically, there's a huge amount of work. And it, it kind of goes against our ethos in MasterChefs, which is trying to simplify the amount of suppliers that we would have and trying to get bigger suppliers to bring us artisan produce. But we have to... Um, we just found we had to break away from that and we had to take on individual suppliers f- for product. We are lucky that with the Artisan Food Factory, which is our own business, that, as the name suggests, we hand-make a whole range of products. So that made it easier for us because the Artisan Food Factory is a supplier to Copia Green, if that makes sense. So through the talent we have over there, we developed a whole load of recipes and dishes that... that specifically for Copia Green and bespoke for Copia Green. Otherwise, we couldn't possibly have the, extens- the extensive menu that, that we have with the resource of a single cafe. You just couldn't do it. You've mentioned the Arts and Food Factory a couple of times, and I think it's important to highlight that you opened it or created it in, was it 2012, kind yeah. of at the height of the, the recession, really. Yeah. But it has had a huge impact on the success of your business. Yeah, the Arts and Food Factory was a complete game changer for MasterChefs. I had it in my head for 10 years. With the boom, I couldn't just we just couldn't afford to do it. We weren't at that stage in growth where we could have just lashed out millions on property. We didn't. Uh, we were lucky, I suppose, that during the recession, we, we adapted quickly. Uh, we didn't change the level of product that we offered the customer. We didn't change the price very much um, um, because we couldn't do it, but we just had faith that we lost customers because of that, for sure. But we held faith with the customers that we had that they that it would understand the value that we were providing and what it what it took, and that ultimately. So we didn't join the race to the bottom. Is my point, I think. So we that ultimately saved us because a lot of our competitors fell away. They were doing they were they were doing catering at below cost, and clearly you don't have to be an economist to figure out that that has only one ending, right? So, so we held our own that way, and to help us to do that, I was always on the lookout for a suitable property to do the artisan food factory in, and when the when the property collapsed, the opportunity arose in Delta and Valley Simon to acquire a property, fit it out. On the, on the ground, it's about eight or 9,000 square feet. On the ground floor, we did production kitchens for all the world. And on the first floor, we did some storage and staff facilities and so forth and our suite of offices. And for the first time ever as an organization, we were able to move everybody into one building. And that was a complete game changer. The whole point behind it, I suppose, is that we could attract talent Everybody knows the, the chefing crisis, but to be honest with you, I'm 30 years in this business. There's always been a chefing crisis. That's not new. It just gets worse, and it's it's bad at the moment. But it's always been bad. You know, there's never been a situation where we've had too many chefs. It's never happened. It never will happen in my working life. So that wasn't new. The problem was to keep the talented ones and to attract them and give them a working environment that was conducive to a work-life balance. So with the, my idea for the Arts and Food Factory was, look, it doesn't matter what hours you work, 
you work your eight hour day it can be you can start at eight in the morning and do to four or you can start at four in the afternoon and work till 12 i really don't care all i want is the output of the product right and it was a non-service environment so that's that was new to people and people started saying you know god this is this is a different way of looking at it you know so I was able to get a bunch of really talented chefs into Delta six years ago. They're all all there. I think maybe one or two maybe have moved on, but generally speaking, the core team are all are all there. They work. They're not so much at their own pace, right? Because they're not wandering around the place, right? But but they work in a non-pressurized environment is the best way I can describe it, and they create. It's a very creative environment. And they're challenging each other to come up with new ideas and new dishes and, and, and uh, calling me down to the kitchens to say, look, what do you think of this or what do you think of that? Because I come from a food background myself. And it's just fantastic. And we wouldn't have been able to grow and develop and expand the business and keep our own unique identity without having the output of the wonderful dishes that they do from from the arts and food fashion. And one of the results of that creativity was a three-star from the Great Taste Awards last year. Yeah, I mean, anyone that's familiar with that will know how difficult it is to win three stars at Great Taste, especially for a fresh produce. If you look at, at the stars that are won, uh, the vast majority of them are, they could be for a drink or a dressing or a, a jam or a... a a pickled item or whatever very very few are for fresh items I think last year there was 112 or 113 three stars out of 13,000 entries across uh, the UK and Ireland and it was a goat's cheese with caramelised onion tart goat's cheese spinach and caramelised onion quiche yeah it is fantastic it's only available in Café Noir at the moment anyone that's a familiar Café Noir customer will know that, that people just go there for the quiche but that's why it is the best, literally the best in the British Isles and and uh, yeah, people love it I'm not so sure they know that story but, but they love it, so we were thrilled and from that we got so many I could literally open a quiche factory we got so many requests from international organisations to know where can they where can they source the product, where can they stock the product we, I'm not interested in that. I, I was only interested in validating that our own products were excellent. I have no interest in going into the retail market or, or anything like that. And the Artisan Food Factory then proved to be very useful to you before opening Copia Green because you were able to send staff in there for pre-opening training. Yeah, I mean, that's our test kitchen. And, and that's where we develop all the fantastic recipes and dishes that... Um, that, uh, that are on the Copia Green menu and not everything made it to the menu but w- once we had arrived at our opening menu uh, going back to what you said a while ago we do breakfast, brunch, lunch and we will be doing dinner we're, we're probably three weeks or so away from that but I'm not going to rush into something that we're not ready to go on there's, there's still work to do we have a lot of items on there so we're doing breakfast, brunch and lunch it is um, gaining momentum but we, the menu is very different. There's a huge amount of education required to even read it. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a food writer in Dublin, Marlon Bright, recently, and I sent her the menu, and she said, she said, it, it, it's, it sounds fantastic, Pat, but you're going to have to change the terminology on the menu for people to understand what you're trying to create. 
and she gave me several examples of that you know maybe to just expand the words like your sheshukra or your your tangine or your whatever right that it's not these aren't these aren't common words that people use every day i didn't three months ago or six months ago so we have kind of adapted to it and we just assume too much maybe so in to get over that we decided when we had our management team and, and front of house team in place, we brought them into our centre of excellence that is Delta. And the, the waiting staff and the manager, who, was a, who, who actually was previously a chef as well, so it came easier to her, we brought them into the kitchens and we got them making the product. And uh, they produced the desserts and they produced the dressings and the, the fermentation and started to get an understanding because if they don't understand it, they're certainly not going to be able to explain it to the customer. So that that's an expensive way of doing things, but it's the only way. So like we have to, when you're presented with the menu, people have looked looked at the menu, thought, oh Christ, this isn't for me, and would get up to walk out the door. You, If you just do that, put the menu in front of people, they don't get it so the waiter has to say look we understand that uh, not everything on here is going to be obvious to you but you know this is this and this is that and try and get into a little bit more detail with them so that they understand and they don't become frightened by it and I think it's a great opportunity for servers to engage with customers and, and that only adds to the customer experience yeah, of course, absolutely, and and you know, if somebody has come in and they've read the menu and they've walked out the door and somebody hasn't spoken to them, my God, we have we have failed badly. So we we have to that level of engagement is is it's what we're all about, you know, it really is. And in keeping with the whole organic ethos, you have an organic wine list. Yeah, um, a friend in Newcastle West, Ron Forrestal, um, who I worked with. Um, many years ago in a previous life you know he's a fantastic sommelier he's a brilliant uh, um, mind for wines we go back a long long way 25 years plus probably and when I was giving the idea to Ron I said look I need him to, I need you to source organic wines for me I need them to be European um, you know I don't want any South African or New Zealand or, or New World wines because of the air miles issue you know we have really good wines in Europe we even have good wines in Ireland so he, he put a lot of work into the original the, the opening menu but every wine on there is organic which is I believe is unique and their pricing isn't scary pricing compared to non-organic wines yeah, no, it's not, because I suppose we've taken a bit of a hit on it as well, because, again, part of the education uh, aspect of it, we have not taken our normal margin on wines because we want people to try them, we want people to experience them. That will really come into play when we start the dinner menu. At the moment, yes, there are people have a glass of wine with lunch, but clearly they're not having a bottle. Um, but um, when the dinner menu kicks in, yeah, that's going to be a big feature. With everything that's going on here in Copia Green, the Artisan Food Factory, MasterChefs, you do all the, the catering at Tomond Park and various other different places. It's about 400 people that you employ. Like, how do you juggle it all? How do you <laughs> manage it all? Yeah, like, you know, I suppose I had as much trouble running 
a business when I had 50 people as I do when I have 400 people. Um, like, once the structures are in place, I don't do it all, I suppose, is the first thing to do. I've surrounded myself with very talented people. Uh, we have an excellent uh, management team. We have an excellent management structure. And I suppose in head office, from a financial perspective, the, our, our managers around the country... People see us as a Limerick company. We're very much a national company with our HQ in Limerick. You know, we have significant businesses around the country. You know, Galway in particular. You know, we have seven restaurants in Galway. Nobody would really know that. We work in the hospital there. We work in the hospital here. Um, And we do events all over Ireland. And and Copia Green, the next journey for Copia Green will be be into Dublin. Um, So to go back to your question, like... It's actually not as bad as it sounds. I mean, there is a staffing issue in general, but we have approached it a little bit differently, and we, we spend time training people. You, we, if you don't train people, you know, your, your business is going to collapse. If you do train people, there's every chance they'll go to the highest bidder uh, as soon as they're trained. And it happens a lot. It's a transient business. But, like, what do you do? You... you, you you don't train people and you'll have no standards whatsoever. So we, we invest heavily in training. Thankfully, a lot of them stay with us. Our senior management and our, our executive chef are with me on average, I'd say, of 15, 16 years. We're only 20 years in business. So I do tend to keep all of the right people around me. The accountant obviously never leaves my side very much. Um, but the accountant has a structure in place where the managers report in to her um, on all the financial aspects of the business. Yes, I review and comment, but ultimately I can't be everywhere. So so it's all about the system you put around you. And, and I've been lucky that when I was training, I trained under some very good people myself, and I was able to to take the best of several different systems and bring them into masterships. Because you've said about your background is as a chef, and a lot of the time the chefs and the accountancy skills don't go hand in hand. I think there's more training nowadays to kind of gel the two together. But back in the day, a lot of chefs, they just wanted to cook. They just couldn't grasp the economics behind it all to make it a cost-effective operation. Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky, Sharon, that I, I worked for Chuck Feeney in, in, in the Medallion Hotel organisation for seven years back in the 90s and when within uh, so that was in the Castle Tri Park I came to Limerick as the executive chef in the Castle Tri Park I worked there from 91 to 98 um, I started I started as the sous chef and I left as the operations manager uh, within that period right and during that time I had captained the Irish culinary team I was I was young of course very young you're still very young Thanks I have very to much. point out yeah. <laughs> and um, I felt that I, it, during that period we had such a budget a training budget to educate ourselves or be educated that I I was like a sponge I was I was doing every conceivable course I could um, we had fantastic American based systems at the time we had access to training programs that I couldn't possibly otherwise have done uh, like train the trainer and the seven habits and you know I did everything and I was still in my 20s at, you know and it was I was really learned an awful lot and it opened my eyes to beyond the hot plate you know I, I was very much a chef typical cranky old devil 
um, you know, running a kitchen of, I think there was about 16 chefs in Castle Troy that time and, and probably a team of about 25. And I was the youngest of them. Um, you know, I was very young. I think I was 23 when I took over as head chef in Castle Troy, just turning 24. So that, that in itself was daunting. So we, I was always pushing myself and always challenging myself. And I think in that environment, I learned a huge amount. So I wouldn't have been your typical chef. You know, I moved out. I did. I was head chef for about four years. And then for the last three years, my, my uh, general manager at the time was a guy Patrick, called Patrick Curran. And Patrick was very visionary as well. And he saw, obviously, that I had a talent beyond the kitchen. So I actually didn't replace myself. And he said, you know, you need to come out front of house, start managing F&B. So I was really running food and beverage departments as the chef. And that was, can you imagine in the 90s, that was unheard of. You know, the food and beverage manager was God. And, and chefs just told, just told the line. Um, well, I was, uh, you know, I was managing all aspects of F&B and then I became operations manager. And, you know, I would have gone on easily to be general manager if that was the route I wanted to go. Um, but it wasn't. You know, I, I, I wanted to stay more food focused, so I left. But to it do sounds this. like you were very ambitious from a young age. Yeah, hugely driven. Um, I mentioned to you before we started talking um, um, on the record that you know we grew up in. I grew up in a small farm in South Kerry. I grew up in. A, we were a hundred percent sustainable. So, like history has repeated itself. When I'm going back to sustainable restaurants and and really going back to basics here, I came from a very basic uh, environment. And I suppose, like for the first 15 years of my working life, I kind of felt hard done by. Maybe not not in a don't mean that in a in a cynical way, but we certainly had nothing growing up. We lived off the land. We had our own chickens, ducks, geese, pigs, sheep, cattle you name it, we had our own vegetable farm we, we learned how to do everything from, from early childhood and I think when I got out into the environment I was like jeez I'm going to work hard here and I'm going to, I, I need to create um, as much as I possibly can for my own children when they're, so, so that they don't have to work as hard I suppose as we did and, but looking back later in life I'm thinking, my God, what an idyllic childhood I had. You know, it was really amazing. We had no TV luck. It was, it was really incredible. And we never missed it because we never really took any notice of not having it. Can you imagine saying that to somebody now that you had grew up without a, te- without a telly? But I think we've got, we, we maybe step, overstepped the mark then and we have probably spoiled a whole generation. Um, but funny enough now, that generation are starting to look back and, and look at where their parents have come from, their grandparents have come from, and they have got more um, uh, grounded, I think, and more realistic about where we should be going as a, as a society and, and how we need to start improving and treating the environment uh, a bit better. Well, of course, I have to congratulate you on your success to date because it is an amazing empire that you have built. I think... You were mentioning there about being a sponge from an early age. That's probably advice that you would pass on to young people now. Be a sponge and take every opportunity that's thrown at you to learn and develop and work hard in life. 
Yeah, very much. There's no substitute for hard work. And, you know, I'm very lucky that I consider myself never to have really worked a day in my life because I truly love what I do. You know, I bounce out of bed in the morning. My wife is the complete opposite. She's like, Jesus Christ, you know, where, where are we? You know, how can you just do that? I, I'm, I'm up and at it, work at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm the last home in the evening. Now, I suppose when my, when my kids were younger, that was a problem and I didn't see it. Now, if, if they were the same age again, I would be able to head off during the day and maybe and spend a bit more time with them. I was so driven that it was, you know, it was, I suppose looking back, it's quite frightening. But I certainly worked hard. I'm always first. Even when I worked for others, I'd be in before I should be in, and I'd be there when I shouldn't have been there. And but that that mentality stands to you. And I think I, I'm, I'm I've passed it on to my own kids, and I pass it on to anyone that's willing to listen. That unless if you're a nine to fiver, if you're a clock in, clock out, you'll do well. You'll make a salary but you'll never excel. And I think life can be very boring as well if you're a nine-to-fiver, but that's just me and maybe you. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time. Congratulations again on Copia Green and all your success to date. And best of luck for the future. Thank you, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Pat O'Sullivan about the multiple strands of his business which include MasterChef's Hospitality, the Artisan Food Factory and his latest brainchild, Copia Green in Castle Troy in Limerick City. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you definitely want to catch it on The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcast are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website. Now I have a trio of guests next who are all students at GMIT. During my visit to Galway last month for the Food on the Edge Symposium, I met Jack Hurley from County Waterford, Paddy Farrell from Galway and Devon O'Sullivan from County Clare. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Devon, tell us what FEAST is. So FEAST is essentially uh, it's a, a non-profit organisation, uh, a charitable organisation that I set up uh, back in February of 2018. So it's only, what, five, six, seven months old at this stage. Um, focusing primarily on improving uh, food education and the food culture here in Ireland for present and future generations. Um, we devised um, a, a range of initiatives that were aiming at a range of demographics as well to just improve food education and uh, agriculture and also sustainability and just thinking sustainably in Ireland as well uh, amongst a range of demographics so from 4 to 18 year olds and then uh, obviously uh, 25 to to, to 50 year olds so we're we're targeting schools and uh, through what we call the schools initiative where we pair uh, schools with mission style restaurants and, and, and high class restaurants um, so we bring in all the equipment that all these schools need to, to grow to grow gardens. So it's it's no cost to them, only only time really. Um, so we bring in everything from the from the, the wood for the raised beds, the compost, which is all uh, all our own homemade uh, locally sourced compost with, with, with local ingredients. Uh, just thrown into it and uh, kind of de- decomposed down through the years. 
and um, we bring in the seeds as well, seeds kindly donated by the Organic Centre in Leitrim. And uh, yeah, just it's, it's only a trial year this year, so we've paired with, with four schools, um, two here in Galway, two here in Clare, uh, the Educate Together, one of, the, one of our, our larger schools is paired with Loan. Uh, my old second or my old primary school down in Clare is paired with Anir JP's um, restaurant. We have Hooked on Henry Street that is paired with the Jez right beside uh, Kai on Sea Road, and then we have uh, GMIT's uh, two training restaurants. They are paired with uh, another primary school down in Clare, which we're going to be bringing to the Foodie Forum hopefully as well and doing a couple of demonstrations with. So just something different. Uh, it's, it's a contemporary way of dealing with food education. Um, and, it, and it's been quite successful so far, over 1,500 kids, uh, school children from 4 to 18 being, uh, being kind of influenced and, and educated and uh, something, something good I think for, for, the, for the industry in terms of promotion of the industry as well and hoping to, to inspire the next generation to get involved. You're a student at GMIT, what are you yeah. studying? So the, the, the entire team that's behind this is studying um, a course that's been around at GMIT for a long time called uh, Hotel and Catering. Um, so it's, it's been renamed in recent years actually to International Hotel Management. It's become more recognised on, on an international scale. So we're doing the four-year course of that. We're currently in fourth year. Um, incredible support from the International Hotel School in GMIT, the likes of Lucent Dalton, Cochinoon, uh, Cormac Handy, Ulrich, loads lo- 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 of uh, lecturers getting on board and, and helping us out. Um, they've, they've got the, the connections and network and the platform to enable us to kind of expand and grow um, nationally and, and hopefully uh, internationally in, in the few years to come. So small steps um, to, to, to hopefully change quite a, quite a broad landscape. And you're working with two other fellow students, Jack Hurley and Paddy Farrell, and there's two other strands to the project and Jack, you're looking at the Foodie Forum which is on in November and that's something that I'm familiar with because I was at the first Foodie Forum a few years ago. So basically we, um, the European Young Chef Awards is taking place in GMIT in November and we're going to run a Foodie Forum around it. So basically our role in it will be, we'll be organising the, um, some talks, debates uh, all around the topics of food edu- education um, topics of food waste, chef shortages, uh, professionalising the hospitality industry, um, and link it in with Feast as well, of course. Um, the Schools Initiative, um, we'll be linking that in, towards, in, in with um, the, all the debates and the uh, talks. So do you have a number of guest speakers coming in on the day? Yeah, so we will have a number of guest speakers. Some of them still have to be uh, decided, so we're still, we're, we'll be working on that this month. This was kind of like the Food and the Edge was what we were focused on at the moment and then we're going to go focus on the Young Chef Awards and the Foodie Forum next uh, as a team. So who is the Foodie Forum event for? Can anybody come along to it or is it just for students in GMIT? Yeah, so it's basically for anybody. Um, it's going to be the competition is the main focal point of it. Uh, the Young Chef Awards uh, is the is, is the basically the main, the main part of it and this is going to run around it so we're going to have a, um, an artist and producer village like here in Food and the Edge just a few local producers um, and then we'll have some dinners the debates and stuff like that so we'll have a final dinner which will be running um, we'll probably get a lot of our classmates involved in that as well so to run the, the dinner at the end of the, the forum and it's all at GMIT it's all it's all taking place at GMIT yeah yeah so well, it's always a great event. Yeah, yeah, so this year should be good as well.
Paddy, you're the, the third spoke in the wheel and you're focusing on a sports initiative. Yeah, so um, all my life and you know my family and everything have always been heavily involved in GA and uh, well GA in particular but in all sports really um, and the idea behind it is um, from playing myself and from being involved I've noticed that uh, players think that they're getting a proper nutritional diet, think that they're getting um, you know benefits and everything from protein shakes, creatine shakes, pre-workouts and so on. Uh, the main thing that I want to kind of get across is that you get a lot more benefits out of eating healthy food and you know stuff that you can you can produce yourself at a relatively low cost and you know with not a huge amount of effort um educating people on what real food is and what proper organic and natural food actually is rather than you know going into the manufactured stuff that comes out of a a package you know one thing that I've noticed as well is you know particularly people who get injured um, you know and myself included when you have an injury and you you kind of tend to go away from what you would have been doing when you were playing whereas if you have a good education on what to actually eat and what's good and what's healthy um, you know you can your mind stays healthy your body stays healthy and when you come back from an injury there's less of a, a gap to bridge um, to get back into where you would have been before. And today at this event, the lunch was exceptional. I thought it was a really fantastic lunch. It was nutritional, it was tasty, it was all locally sourced ingredients. You'd love to be getting that every day for your lunch. You'd love to be getting that every day, but there's, you know, everything, as you said, everything is locally sourced. So everything is essentially ready available, readily available to anybody who wants it or anybody who's kind of bothered to get it, you know. Um, you know, we're hoping to, we're launching a sponsorship with uh, GMIT, uh, ladies football, intermediate football, junior football and kind of hurling and everything as well, um, volleyball, uh, badminton, all the indoor sports. So they're all going to have feast jerseys, um, locally designed, locally produced and they are locally manufactured and then we're going to have um, hopefully nutritional talks with some of the lecturers in the college, Francisco, one of our nutritionist lecturers, he's hopefully going to have, uh, you know, a few conversations with the teams and different things like that, and actually educate them on what they should be eating rather than what they or versus what they are eating. I think it's great to see nowadays that every sports team they do have a nutritionist on board in mm. some shape or form, and you know that that's something that has really enhanced performances of teams i'd say every professional team in the world has a nutritionist working with them yeah uh well i suppose we want to kind of well personally i'd like to bring that into the the more professionalism about food into amateur sports like hurling and football ladies football camogie and so on um i'd also hope that you know in the future we get you know, the organisation as a whole of the GA involved. Um, we've, I've made a few inroads into talking to people about doing that um, at a local level with Galway GA and hopefully further afield. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a hugely important um, issue really that, uh, you know, players from a young age especially know what they're eating, when they're eating it, so that when they hit 13 and 14, they're not going from kind of eating what they want to go and straight into a gym on protein shakes and everything and unnaturally getting, you know, fitter or bigger or stronger or whatever. Um, I think it's, it's very important that they, they know from a young age, you know, the, the kind of 
the rules around, uh, you know, what you can and can't eat and, and, you know, everything like that. Well, congratulations on Feast. It is a, a great programme, three different initiatives there. If people want to find out more about it, is there somewhere online they can go to? Yeah, so there's quite a lot of uh, marketing and PR across uh, all we do with Feast. It's, it's again, we, we realise the power of social media and it's another demographic that we're covering. Uh, we're visible and active across a range of social media platforms. The handle is at Feast Ireland, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, you can get us on, you can follow us and like us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, obviously as well. Uh, personally, we're all we're all on social media as well, so we, we can be followed, and it's all uh, all relevant to, to what we're doing. And uh, it's it, it's as I said, it's another demographic we cover, so we're very very active. We we, we post quite a lot, and it's all relevant. And uh, hopefully. People can learn from not just what we're doing actively by getting out there, but also if they just scroll down through through what we're doing on, on Instagram, they might learn a bit from that as well. So, yeah, at Feast Ireland, uh, the hashtag for this year is hashtag Feast 2018, and we'll be updated, obviously, uh, every single year. So um, give us a follow, give us a share, and uh, like us across all social media platforms. Fantastic. Thanks so much for telling me about it today, Devon, Jack, and Patty. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to GMIT students Jack Hurley, Paddy Farrell and Devon O'Sullivan and look forward to the return of Foodie Forum on Monday the 26th of November. Earlier in the programme, I was talking to Pat O'Sullivan about the multiple strands of his business, which include MasterChef's Hospitality, the Artisan Food Factory and his latest brainchild, Copia Green in Castle Troy in Limerick City. If you'd like to catch up on Best Possible Taste, it's repeated on West Limerick 102FM on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks to my guests, Pat O'Sullivan, Paddy Farrell, Jack Hurley and Devon O'Sullivan. Before I go, a word of congratulations to this year's winner of the Eurotalk Young Chef of the Year competition, Jack Leonards, took the 2018 crown and was mentored by Amit Deed of Muse in Baltimore in West Cork, which is still enjoying the success of gaining a Michelin star this year. So double celebrations there. Until next week, be sure to get in touch with your food and drink news, recipes and events. Email me on s.noonan at live.ie. But in the meantime, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.